Understanding what pathogens are present and the level of antimicrobial resistance can influence our therapeutic decisions for bovine respiratory disease, which is why we like to see studies that help us learn more about both those topics. And we'll get into one today on bovine science with BCI after the abstract with Dr. Brian Lubers. Morning, Brian. Morning, Brian. So we're happy to have you here. You've always got good articles for us. And I, I like this one. Because you're going to stretch us. I went, I went a little different with this one. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I guess I'll just, I'll say my main point up front, I scanned through a couple articles and, you know, usually when we do this, we, we find things that have a lot of clinical relevance, right? Like a practitioner reads that, takes it, can hopefully take it out into the field and use it right away. But this one's a little bit deeper. And, and my main point was, you know, even though, you know, this one doesn't have that it's not a clinic. Well, it's kind of a field study, but it doesn't have that same clinical application that most of our articles do. I don't. I don't want our listeners to be afraid of those more basic research articles because some sometimes you do find some things in there that I think have some application. And so, well, are, we found we found some in this one that yep. that we think will be applied. So tell tell us a little bit about this article so people can find it. Yeah. So the article is titled "Lower Respiratory Tract Microbiome and Resistome." of bovine respiratory disease mortalities. Um, and it's in the journal of microbial ecology. It's not one we usually search for, uh, published in 2019. And the lead author is Cassidy Klima. There's several folks in here, uh, but this was done, um, out of Alberta, Canada is where that research group is. Okay, so we're, we're going to work our way through our typical methodology where we look at the abstract, we're going to look at some of the results. We're going to look at the methodology to make sure that there's blinding randomization. We've controlled for confounding where we can. And then we'll talk about our, our take-homes from this process. But before we do that today, Brian, we're going to do vocabulary time. Because you already threw out two words in the title. I want you to define and I'll be checking your definition in my at-home version. Okay. Yeah, we probably should. There's there's, there's probably a few things in okay. here. So it's, it's a more basic study. So so they talk about, I assume one of them you're asking me about is microbiome. 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 All right. So the microbiome is really all the bacteria that are, and, and if you want to really extend it, the microbiome includes viruses and parasite and all that. But this one... I think they pretty much limited to bacteria. So it's all the bacteria you find in, I'll say, in what you're looking at, right? And so this was bovine respiratory disease. So um, this is a, so to do that, they basically did a genomic analysis and they, they basically just looked at, okay, let's take all the DNA, all the genomes we find in this sample, and this was bovine lung, and then let's match it up to what we know about known genomes of bacteria and see exactly what's in there. Compare and contrast that with, say, if I did, if I said, I want to know if there's mycoplasma and I did a culture for mycoplasma, how does that compare and to microbiome analysis? Yeah. So if we're, so I'll say, I'll actually do culture, PCR and microbiome analysis because there's a little bit. So with culture, and especially with mycoplasma, that's a very specific type of culture. And so if we do culture for mycoplasma, we probably are, we're only going to grow it. And if and some of the mycoplasmas 
aren't culturable. And so we can't even grow them. So um, the, the downside to traditional culture methodologies is some of them just don't grow under laboratory conditions. So there's, and I, I've seen the estimates range. It's a pretty significant number of bacteria we think aren't culturable at all. So I've even seen like upwards of 90%. So we're looking with traditional culture, we're looking at a very small window of what we can actually grow in the lab. And part of the reason I chose this particular paper is for you know, a century or more, we've been dealing with bovine respiratory disease. And we think that the primary pathogens are Mannheimia, Pastorella, Histophilus, and Mycoplasma. But now we're getting these tools that we need to be open-minded enough that there might be some things we can't culture that are truly associated with bovine respiratory disease. And so I wanted to know if they found any of those. Here's, here's my analogy, and you tell me if this fits for your – as you because okay. culture – we're looking for something specific. That is, if I was wanted to get tadpoles out of a pond, I have a specific size net that I do it. And all the rest of the water goes out and I end up with just tadpoles. In this case, you're analyzing everything that's in that pond water. You're not just looking for one thing. Is that your microbiome? Yeah. You're looking at everything. Yeah, kind of. Um, except for the pond analogy. I yeah, except, yeah, except for the pond analogy. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, and PCR is kind of somewhere in the – it's it's – I say it's somewhere in the middle. It probably actually isn't. So PCR also looks at, gene, at, at genomes or DNA or RNA, but it's, it's even more specific, right? So with, with culture, if you said, I want you to culture this lung for BRD pathogens, we could grow Mannheimia or Pastorella using the same methods. And we might grow both at the same time. But with PCR, if you say, I want to look for Mannheimia hemolytica, it's only looking for Mannheimia hemolytica using the DNA or RNA that's present. The microbiome, yeah, we're looking for pretty much everything that's in there. You're looking for everything. Now that's microbiome. What about resistome? So resistome is kind of, we're using that genomic analysis to look for resistance genes. So kind of, it's the same procedures. It's just when we have, when we have the data from our genomic analysis, instead of matching it up to bacterial genus species, now we're trying to see how those genome sequences align with particular resistance genes that we know about. Okay, next word on your vocabulary list is ICE. So ICE, so IC, capital I, capital C, capital E, stands for Integrative Conjugative Element. And they describe it in the paper. It falls under a bigger umbrella of what we call mobile genetic elements. And so uh, an, an Integrative Conjugative Element is a piece of genetic material the integrative part is it moves so it can go from a donor bacteria to a recipient bacteria um, that's the in integrative the conjugative is it also has the genes to conjugate which is part of that transmission process and what's not said in there is that the reason we worry about ice ices um, is because they oftentimes contain multiple resistance genes and uh, we've done work here at KSVDL and some other folks have done work on ices in bovine respiratory disease. Um, and we know that these are not uncommon in respiratory pathogens. And a lot of what we've described with multi-drug resistance is related to the presence of those ice elements. So if I'm understanding correctly, if I have a manheimia that has an ice element that's that has multiple resistance patterns, it could be transferred 
to a different Mannheimia or even a different species of bacteria? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So okay. Mannheimia to Mannheimia, Mannheimia to Pasteurella. Yes. Okay. And then that all falls under the header of kind of antimicrobial resistance genes. Yeah. Like so the, the genes would be the individual. So an, an antimicrobial resistance gene, we typically say that that would have resistance to one type of drug, right? And so on these ices, we have multiple antimicrobial resistance genes up. They report, and we've seen other people report, um, and um, these ice elements contain up to, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 and sp- particular antimicrobial resistance genes. So microbiome, we're evaluating all the bacteria that are there in this case. And the resistome is we're evaluating what are the resistance genes, and we're lumping those into important categories of individual resistance genes or ice elements, which may contain, which are easily transferable and may contain multi-drug resistant yeah, genes. They're connected. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So cl- clinical relevance on this one, and we, and I think that background is important because those are questions I've had, and I appreciate you you sharing with me. But back to our our process, well, let's work through the abstract here and say. Is this clinically relevant or not? And I'd, I'd ask you most specifically about, does the target population make sense if I want to know what which animals have which microbiomes relative to respiratory disease? Yeah, so I think so. Like you said, I think if if your clinical question is about, and, and theirs kind of was, and they kind of went back and related it to clinical questions, but your, your clinical question is what, bacteria and i think the thing is we're just using a different tool but what bacteria are typically associated with bovine respiratory disease mortalities which we think we know but now we're using some new technology to support that Um, and also what are the underlying resistance and I'll, i'll use the term mechanisms because are the is the resistance patterns we see in respiratory disease pathogens are those associated with ice elements or not? That Those were kind of the two questions that they were going about answering in this study. And both of those make sense from a clinical standpoint that we'd want to know the answers to those. Sure. I think, I think so. Okay. So now we go to thinking about the results and tables. And let's jump to a couple of those and basically answer the – before we dive into what they mean, do these results – look like they answer your questions and they provide you something meaningful? Uh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, again, this is more of a basic science paper. So I think um, if you're not used to looking at this type of information, it, you might have to stare at it a little bit longer than normal. But yeah, I think so. So, you know, we start with the figure. So let's start with figure one, Brad. So figure one is essentially it's it's their the summary of their microbiome part of this research okay so they they basically said what is the relative abundance and it's always relative right so it's how many genomes did we detect and what's the percentage of that that were classified as individual bacterial species and so what we find in this figure is that manheimia and histophilus and some mycoplasma species were in the more common leaf found bacterial species and then there were kind of a whole bunch of other things and i'll say that they called them the non-brd bacteria and most of those non-brd bacteria 
would be things that you would associate with the gastrointestinal tract. And they made a couple, a couple comments throughout the paper about one theory could be is that these are commensal organisms in the upper respiratory tract. And they just, because this is a postmortem sample after death, they migrated into the lower respiratory tract and we found them. The other comment that they made is because they're gastrointestinal organisms, um, because these are ruminants, they could be moving up during the rumination process and then, you know, make their way down into the lower respiratory tract. They didn't mention this specifically, but I've often wondered, um, you know, when an animal, when, when you have an, a mortality after death, the gut becomes very leaky. And so could these organisms just have migrated through the tissues and got in, and we incidentally found them in the respiratory tract. They said that all of these samples were collected within 12 hours of death. And so that's, pretty quick, but it's also probably enough time where some of that could have happened. But anyway, they've done a pretty good job of separating it into BRD and non-BRD. Like I said, it supports what I, what we kind of have thought, right? Manheim is a primary pathogen. We've got some mycoplasma, some histophilus. They, interestingly, they did not find any pastorella in these samples. Um, I don't know that that would be atypical, but it's a little bit unusual. Um, yeah. And, and, you, you mentioned they found a lot. They're looking across the board at all these different bacteria. The two that you mentioned, Manheimia hemolytica and Mycoplasma bovis, were, were found more frequently, higher relative abundance in most samples. And then for the rest of them, pretty similar in that they were found in a lot of samples, but relatively low level. Relatively low abundance of the genome, yeah. And so if you look at table one, which is on the same page as figure one, they also, so one thing we didn't talk about in the methods were this was the total number of animals sampled in this study was 18. So there are only 18 mortalities that were sampled. 15 of those were primary respiratory cases, and then they had three non-respiratory cases. Interestingly enough, they found respiratory pathogens, manheimia, particularly in mycoplasma, in all 18 cases, even the non-respiratory cases, using the genomic analysis, they did not culture manheimia from the non-respiratory cases, but they did from all the respiratory cases. And so, but it does match up. The other interesting thing out of that table is the the relative abund abundance of manheimia in any one case ranged from 1% to almost 50% of the genomes. So a lot of variation. So a lot of variation, but presence there, and we, we talked about this a little bit, our tests that we're using now when we look at microbiome are more sensitive. We have the ability to identify more of those pathogens, and many of these cattle had multiple pathogens. So we're rarely treating just one thing, whereas sometimes with culture, you may or may not grow it, but the relative abundance on the microbiome is showing us it's there in many of these cases. Am I interpreting that correctly? Yes. that And that was kind of their interpretation. I, I'll kind of add, and this is my thoughts on this. So yes, they, they made a comment that cult, traditional culture was not sensitive enough to pick up all the manheimia that was present in all of these samples. I will, I will say, looking at their table, Culture actually is a pretty good cutoff because they grew manheimia in the respiratory cases, but they didn't in the non-respiratory cases. And so I think it says, you know, 
Manheimia can be incidental in non-respiratory cases, but my technique for traditional culture isn't sensitive. I'm not picking it up and I don't have to worry about trying to interpret it. So I have a slightly different interpretation. Yeah. And I think that's where, that's why we talked through this to kind of get a feel of what you think and what they were thinking. They also looked at some of the resistance parameters, like we talked about earlier. Tell me a little bit about what they found there and maybe figure two would be a good place to start. So figure two, it's the same kind of graph. So in figure one, they talk about what's the relative abundance of the different bacterial species. So that's the microbiome part. Figure two is what's the relative abundance of different resistance genes, which is the resistome part of their study. And so um, they looked at, well, they found, I should say they found resistance genes to beta-lactams. That's the penicillins and the cephalosporins, uh, macrolides, tetracyclines, sulfonamides, uh, aminoglycosides, fluorophenicol, and streptomycin. I think that catches all of them. So they found a a pretty broad array of resistance genes. I will say most of these are on the ice elements that we know occur in bovine respiratory disease pathogens from other studies. The The one interesting thing about this, and this is where I think we get from, you know, if you can put kind of one and one together, you get something that I think is very clinically relevant. So the one resistance gene that they found the most was a specific beta-lactamase gene. So that's resistance to penicillin and cephalosporin drugs. Um, And it was quite a bit higher as far as abundance than many of the other ones that they found. That's interesting because cephalosporins, there's only one cephalosporin that's used in cattle production in Canada, and it's only used for treatment as opposed to other some of the macrolides and other drugs that would be used for both treatment and control of bovine respiratory disease and their comment directly out of the paper which i i agree with is you know it kind of indicates that and then i'm word for word here indicates that the volume of drug use alone is not a good predictor for the prevalence of antimicrobial resistance genes within these bacterial populations and i i think we all kind of know that but it's it's interesting to actually see data that supports that comment. So, and I'm going to have you give me some context on that because I saw that that stuck out to me also. And I think what they're saying, it's not the volume of drug use in that individual animal. It's not how much drug we've given that animal. It's the volume of drug use that we're using as a group or what are they saying? I, I think, I think they're actually implying in, in the entire industry. Yeah. That's right? what, that's because, the way I read it. Because, um, just I'm and I'm just guessing because I don't know the numbers out of Canada, but here in the U.S., you know, tetracyclines those are feed grade antimicrobials, and if we start thinking about injectable products, uh, things like the macrolides, th- those are the most commonly used, and they have the widest variety of uses, meaning control and treatment. So those are the ones we'd expect to see the most if there was a direct correlation between re- between use and the pre- prevalence of resistance genes, and that. That is not at all what they're reporting here. So um, it could be, and they give some possible explanations. They could be that that particular resistance gene just has a lot more copies. So so we don't just always, within an individual genome, there's not always just one copy of that gene. Could be multiple copies. So it could be that there's just a lot more copies of that within any particular resistance element. So it's just an interesting finding that they kind of, they pointed out, and like I said, it's. I think we've all kind of thought that that 
is the case, but um, it does it is a little bit counter to the narrative where use directly promotes resistance, and that's true, but it's not necessarily indicated by the prevalence of the genes that they found in this study. Because we would be expected to select for resistance genes to drugs that we use frequently. Yes. That's the commonly working theory. Mm -hmm. And what they're finding in this is there's some drugs that we don't use as frequently and we're seeing more frequent resistant to those. So how well, at least the prevalence of the genes is higher. Prevalence right? of the genes. Good good point. Yep. Yeah. Good point. So they also found some stuff with the ice elements where there are some differences and they I, I guess as important as anything the finding of ice elements, my interpretation was relatively common in this study. They found several ice, several different ice elements. So, um, so, so the pr so the prevalence of ice elements in the bovine respiratory pathogens was common. Yes, I will say that. Um, now the prevalence. Let's see here. The samples that they collected, um, the abundance within any one sample was kind of lower. Right? And that's good. Just, yeah, that's just, good clarification. That's basically saying what percentage, if you just take what percentage of the genome total and take what percentage of the genome that they think is associated with an ice, you divide the number of ice divided by the total. It's a very small number, but all of them associated with bovine respiratory pathogens, yes, we found those. Um, the one interesting comment they made, you know, when they did the microbiome analysis, they find a pretty good variety of different types of organisms, but when they did the resistome and just looking at ices, there wasn't a lot of diversity. They, they only found one to 15 unique ice elements per sample. So um, within any given, I'll say animal, it's really sample, but animal, there, there, it was a high likelihood of finding an ice, but not a high likelihood of finding a whole bunch of different kinds of ices. So I, I think to kind of, Go back and put this paper in perspective, and what does it mean? I like how you, I like how you talked about the ice elements more than what I just said because, yes, they could find it in multiple BRD pathogens, but it's a a really low percent. Kind of like we said on the BRD pathogens, when you look at the microbiome, were several of our common pathogens there? Yes. Were they there in multiple cases? Yes, but they varied in levels. Culture may have been a good proxy for the most common one in some of those cases. And the same way with some of our antimicrobial resistance genes, but the genes that they found most frequently weren't necessarily associated with the drugs that are used most frequently. Is that kind of your wrap up on this? What's your take home from this paper? Yeah, so my, my take home is the genomic, the microbiome analysis that they did supports what we've thought for a long, long time about what are the important pathogens in BRD. Supports that. It also supports, and I think they did a good job of balancing, it's only 18 animals, and it's, it's again, it's an observational study, so it could be different in a different feed yard, it could be different, different settings, but they are commonly finding resistance and multiple multi-drug resistance in those BRD pathogens. So again, that kind of supports what we found, what some other studies have found here. So I think, and, and again, they kind of wrap it up with, you know, it looks like the metagenomic analysis at least supports what we're doing with other technology, older technologies, right? It, it goes along the same lines. But I think what this paper does for me is says, we've used a new and different tool that's probably a little bit better. And it 
supports everything we've kind of thought about BRD pathogens. Yeah, so. I think that's a I think that's a great take home point, and really brings us back to why we want to read some of these papers is. We're looking, we often feel like we're looking at literature to find something new, but here's a confirmation of something that we thought and maybe gives us just a little bit more information that those things, whether we're talking about specific BRD pathogens or ice elements or antimicrobial resistance genes are there in maybe more cases than we know, but they're relatively low levels. We may not always see those expressed until something else happens. So, and this was on mortalities. So we said that from the start. So a little bit different than just every case. So great points, Brian. Appreciate you coming in and bringing this one. And you did stretch us, but you improved my vocabulary. So thanks for that. Thanks for listening to this episode of After the Abstract on Bovine Science with BCI. This episode was supported in part by Lanco Animal Health, who has a commitment to better understanding bovine respiratory disease and how to control it.